Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva paper towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective on the Mojo 5 radio network. Well, this past Monday, the Senate Homeland Security Committee held a hearing at Ground Zero to commemorate 9-11 at the National Memorial and Museum in New York City. It was just days before the anniversary of that Islamic attack on September 11, 2001, but oddly enough, no mention of radical Islam was made by any of the senators on the panel and was only obliquely mentioned by any of the three witnesses. They did, however, take testimony on climate change, gun control, and the threat of white supremacy. Joining us now to talk about it is Dan Perkins, a nationally recognized expert on foreign policy and energy and a contributor to the Daily Caller, Town Hall, Newsmax, and The Hill. He's author of the novel The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, and you can find that on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So i got to say, uh, I, I read the article in Breitbart, and then I went on and watched that hearing, and it was just amazing how right there in the shadow of uh, the former World Trade Centers, on the anniversary of 9-11, none of the senators and, uh, and only one of the witnesses even made mention of the uh, radical uh, um, theology that was responsible for the attacks of 9-11. Did, did it strike you as, um, as insulting? Um, yes, yes and no. Uh, yes, it was insulting to the 3,000 people who died and the families of those people who've been affected by, by it ever since that attack. But it didn't surprise me because um, there was a. This was all part of something that happened some time ago that most people have forgotten about. And I don't mean the bombing. I'm going to give you a specific event which created a fundamental shift in our leadership ideas about the prosecution against terrorism and more specifically against radical Muslims. That event took place um, a couple of summers ago, well, actually more than that, more like four or five, when Barack Obama was on the golf course during his summer vacation and had to come in and announce to the American people that a reporter had been beheaded by ISIS. And so... I remember it well. Yeah, what happened was that, that a lot of people... Uh, took what happened at face value and didn't understand that there were messages to two constituencies and how that affected from that point on, how it affected these two constituencies and how it's uh, prevalent today. The first message was 
to the black community. This was Daniel Pearl you're referring to, is that correct? Yes, yes, I, yes sir, that's exactly correct, Daniel Pearl. And what I'm, what I'm laying out here is a hypothesis that said, up until that point in time, the Democratic Party had been a party of victims. And the largest constituency of victims at that time were blacks. And what the beheading of Daniel Pearl was a message to the Democratic Party, uh, the blacks are no longer your primary victims. From now on, the primary victims are going to be Muslims. And if you don't do that, we've already demonstrated what we can do to you if you don't do what we tell you to do, number one. Number two was clearly a message to the media in the United States and around the world that we are watching how you report our activities, and if you don't report it in a way in which we like it to be reported, the outcome of Daniel Pearl will visit you. So that well, that is quite a theory, that. there, Dan. Well, let me let me take it, play it forward. Uh, at the time of the attack of nine eleven, there were approximately twelve hundred and fifty mosques, Muslim mosques, in the United States. And that now number has almost, grown dramatically. Uh, I think uh, Muslim immigration into the United States post nine eleven increased by three or fourfold. Yeah, and so there now are almost three thousand mosques in the United States. And so when we elected the first two Muslim females to the U.S. Congress, and they took their seats in January of this year, look at what has happened with the two Muslim ladies and the amount of influence and exposure they've gotten in the media and how much they are in control of the Democratic Party. And when, when it came time to criticize our lady friend from Minneapolis, about her anti-Semitic remarks. Ilhan Omar. Congress, yeah, Ilhan Omar. The Ilhan Omar, she was supposed to be censured by the House for her anti-Semitic remarks. Her remarks but were actually, so off the reservation for the traditional Democrat Party that everybody just assumed that they would censure her for making these blatantly anti-Semitic re- remarks. But uh, when the resolution was brought forward by the House leadership, they had a, uh, a revolt in their ranks, and they made it uh, known in no uncertain terms that Ilhan Omar would not be censured for those remarks, and they turned the, the whole resolution around basically to condemn white nationalism. Against Muslims, the victim. Correct. So that, that in, in a very short period of time, the Omar and her sister up in Michigan, basically along with the the representative from Massachusetts and AOC, basically took control of the Democratic Party in a very short period of time. And they are influencing the direction of the policy and what's being said. And the media... Well, they, cer- said, they certainly are dictating policy when it comes to issues regarding Islam and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Right, and, and recognition and support of Israel. What I'm saying is that in that, that one event with, with Mr. Pearl was sending a message to the Democrats and to the news media, and here we roll forward, you know, 17 years later with our first two female Muslim congresswomen, and we see exactly what I said was going to happen 
is happening. And so when we look at what's going on on Monday when we had this hearing, it was more there is more concern about the impact of global warming than the impact of terrorism. I want to play you a clip from Janet Napolitano. The the three witnesses before the committee yesterday were uh, uh, Chertoff, Napolitano, and Jay Johnson, who were uh, three previous uh, Homeland Security secretaries under George Bush and uh, and then Barack Obama. And uh, and this this is the clip that really struck me is Janet Napolitano uh, couldn't even bring herself to mention the threat of uh, jihad or Islamic terrorism. And instead, she took off on uh, on other threats. So today I would like to speak with you about three areas that I believe the country must focus on. Cybersecurity, mass casualty shootings, and the effects of global warming or climate change. And I will address one issue that I believe is not a threat to the homeland, the United States border with Mexico. The United States border is not a threat to the homeland. Now, that is a very porous border, and you have written in your uh, in, in several of your books, actually, uh, especially uh, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, about uh, you know these suitcase uh, dirty nuclear bombs, and right. uh, and you could you could literally just uh, carry one of those bombs right across that open southern border, and nobody would be the wiser right. until it was too late. But Janet Napolitano wants you to believe that uh, an unsecured border. Um, that is being flooded by foreign nationals from all over the world does not present a, uh, a, a danger to the homeland. Now, taking that thought and, and holding on to it, go to last weekend when Omar saying she wants the UN to take control of the southern border. She wants the United States government to turn over immigration and other activities performed by immigration and customs to the to the refugee department of the United Nations. Now, what she's not telling you is that this particular and you don't have to take my word for it, go to the internet, go to Google and search this refugee organization of the UN and you will find pages and pages of complaints of where these people have been put in countries where the people are responsible for raping women and children. Now, on top of that, the people, the, the women and children, girls that are coming north on these caravans, when they're in their hometowns, where if they can afford them, they're given shots to keep them from getting pregnant because of the high incidence of rape on the caravans. In many, many cases, women and girls who don't have the money to pay, pay with their bodies. And yet she's going to turn over the control of our southern border to a U.N. organization that has a reputation for being rapist. Now, it seems well, to she, me, she's turning over to a body that is uh, uh, anti-Semitic to its core and uh, does not have the best interests of the United States at heart. That's for sure. Yeah. The idea that the American people would agree to turn over control of the southern border to the U.N. is really, and I, I've done a lot of interviews about that in the last two weeks, it really doesn't deserve the time of day because the American people will never stand for that. That's right. And I've had people like yourself, not you specifically, but talk shows who have asked me, do you think it's possible that, that president Trump and vice president Pence and Mitch McConnell will agree to that? I said, no, they'll never agree to that. 
but in their in the tone in their voice. But they one of these ten Democrat uh, clown car candidates uh, might 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 agree to it, or at least they might promise to agree to it. Right, and so so the point is that we again we have her Omar making a suggestion about what should happen that we should turn over control of our southern border. But I would ask the question: if we turn over this control of the southern border, what's to keep the UN from saying, "Well, we need to control all of the borders of the United States"? Well, the UN does, in fact, uh, control many of the borders in uh, in the continent of Africa and and uh, in the Middle East. I want to play a clip for you here while we're on the topic of Ilhan Omar. Um, when she recently held a news conference along with Talib and uh, the squad members AOC and uh, Presley, she was asked mm-hmm. outright to condemn Islamic terrorism, and this was what she had to say. Every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that now when he made the comment uh i know that every single muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment and so i will not dignify it with an answer so she refuses to answer whether or not she condemns isis al-qaeda and islamic terrorism and uh, and she says because it's an affront to ask her to. So I went on a concerted search on the internet trying to find any time well, Irhan Omar had condemned Islamic terrorism, and I wasn't able to find a single instance. And it makes you right. wonder if she is unable to, you know, condemn Islamic terrorism, um, maybe she supports it. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Well, that's that's a perfectly logical conclusion, and I would agree with it that the the, the problem for the American people is that they don't understand the context in which she's operating. She considers herself to be a Sharia compliant Muslim and following the Quran. Now under, under the provisions of the Quran, one of the tenets is that if you are a Muslim, there are rules about how you interact with infidels, non-Muslims. And that particular provision is called Takiyah. And under Takiyah, you are allowed to lie, steal, cheat, mislead, whatever you want to do to infidels in order to further the objective of, of the Muslim group. <clears throat> and so we cannot take anything that she and her sister uh, in uh, Michigan are saying because we don't know if it's truthful or she's lying to us. It's the same same principle of, we, it, again, not, not much play, but they had the Ayatollah for Iran said last week, we would consider reopening the talks on the nuclear agreement if we receive $15 billion in cash. Now, are we going to pay $15 billion for the right to talk, and are they going to do anything, or are they going to stand there and lie to us? My, my point is, if, if you cannot have trust in the person that you're trying to have a dialogue with, and to try and settle differences, you will never settle it. They will never capitulate because they will never tell us the truth. 
And that's what's going on. Well, it struck me, uh, you, you mentioned that Ilhan Omar is Sharia compliant, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she may not be able to, given the district that she represents, uh, being a, uh, identified by the FBI as a hotbed of Islamic terror recruiting, she might not be mm-hmm. able to make any uh, statements uh, condemning Islamic terrorism because they would retaliate against her. And I'm not talking about just in defeating her in the next election. She could be missing her head. That's exactly right. I mean, we, we've, right. Reached, we've reached the point in this country where we've got whole congressional districts where, um, you know, I'm not saying they are majority uh, radical Islamic, but they uh, they certainly have a huge element of that. And Ilhan Omar herself uh, filed a, a brief with a court where um, four uh, adherents – uh, to ISIS, who had joined from her district, uh, were busted by the FBI, and she filed a, a brief urging the court to be lenient on them because uh, you know their heart was in the right place. Right, it, it, it's 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 a situation where if you can't trust what a person's saying, you never know what they're telling you is to the is the truth is it, is it a lie is it a manipulation of you and manipulation of the facts to a particular end. We know, we know in Michigan that there are Sharia courts right now practicing law. There are, there are Sharia police patrols in, in Ilhan Omar's district. Mm -hmm. And so those people have already seceded from the union of the United States and are forming and, and, the precedent for doing this is look what's happened in France and Germany. And France England. is an example of the, and it, but but France is the most dominant example of divide and conquer. Farthest down the road, the, and they have created many many enclaves of pure Muslim, and they are called no go zones. And the military and the police and fire and everybody else, and the government authorities are forbidden to go into those areas. So what's happening is the Muslims are subdividing the country of France into these uh, enclaves, and they, as they continue to grow, they become more and more powerful, more and more demanding, and as a result, they're going to wind up taking over the country of France. Now, the listeners might have heard that and thought that uh, Dan Perkins was exaggerating, but as a matter of fact, the president of France, uh, Macron himself, has acknowledged that there are, in fact, no-go zones in the Paris suburbs, where uh, where Sharia law and um, and Muslim culture dominate, uh, and mm-hmm. that it is uh, it is causing the disintegration of the historic French nation. I have a children's book that's available on the website called Peter the Little Irish Seal. That book, the genesis for writing that book, was my son and daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law is of Irish descent, has a, a dual citizenship, and they would go back periodically to visit her family in Ireland. And they would come back and tell me of how much the, the Muslims are taking over Dublin, trying to change the law and the history and the culture of the Irish people. I wrote Peter the Little Irish Seal as a way to preserve some small element of the historical culture of, of the Irish people. But they go in and they change the laws, they change the culture, they ban these things, you can't do these things. And very quickly they become Sharia-compliant countries. They're no longer... There are no longer a specific national uh, organization uh, or a structure. They're no longer Irish or French or German or Italian or whatever. 
they are Muslim. They're beca- well, they're becoming multiculturalism and home to, as you said, <laughs> these, these enclaves and these strongholds of, uh, of a foreign um, mm-hmm. culture. You know, one of the traditions in the European countries are big communal pools. And uh, across the continent now, uh, many of these pools are closing down because uh, the the uh, the new Muslim arrivals uh, cannot tolerate um, Western women wearing bathing suits, um, and you know they insist that they they cover themselves up completely. And rather than push back and inf- and uh, insist on the native culture prevailing, uh, they're just closing these pools down and um, mm-hmm. and and capitulating, sub- submitting. To this, uh, to this foreign uh, invasion. And when you look at the percentage of the Muslim people as a percentage of the population in any of those countries in Europe, it's relatively small. Now, France has the highest at about 10%. But they're, they're minority, minority population, yet they're aggressive and they have tremendous influence in trying to get things changed and to their liking and to what they want to do. We don't understand that, and that's why the first book in the trilogy, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective, this is, this was specifically written to help people understand why these people hate us so much and why they want to kill us. What are the other two books in the trilogy? Actually, uh, the second book is called America Rebuilds, and the third book is called America Responds. Now, when I finished the third book, about nine months later, I start getting emails from people, and they say, so when's the next book coming? And I would send them a note back. I said, do you understand that a trilogy is three books? <laughs> and and I, would get, I would get emails back, so when's the next book coming? <laughs> so I wrote a fourth book, and a gentleman, a, 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 a talk show host yesterday, says, I figured out what we're going to call it. We're going to call it a quadrilogy, Quad- uh, four books. Quadrilogy. That, that's terrorist gold. And... Um, that's also so. Those are all available, along with the children's books, are available at Amazon. But um, hey, Dan, I've got a, I've got this uh, this audio clip. It's uh, it's setting up the first book in the trilogy, The Brotherhood of the Red Nile. It's about a three okay. minute clip. Have you got long enough uh, to stand by, and then you can sure. comment? Here we go. Absolutely. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile: A Terrorist Perspective by Dan Perkins. We interrupt this program to bring you a special Reader's News update. Joining us is Dan Perkins, author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. Dan? This is fiction, and it's meant to be entertaining, but I'd also like to get people thinking. Reports from undisclosed news sources tell us that representatives from Homeland Security, the FBI, CIA, NSA, and the Secret Service are gathering to discuss a possible threat in the United States from an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. Earlier from Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today because of a real threat that, if successful, could bring down America. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. How could we best prepare if a threat like this actually happened? Joining us now is our Reader's News Middle Eastern correspondent, Jane French. Jane? Thank you. 
Based on what we have been able to pick up in internet traffic, a new Al-Qaeda-type terrorist group is being formed somewhere in Syria, possibly Iraq and Iran. This group is dramatically different from Al-Qaeda. We believe that it is possible that this group has acquired former Soviet Union suitcase dirty bombs and plans to use them against the United States. We know that Russia cannot account for 12 of these bombs. We are told that in addition to U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, and other federal agency task forces, there may be additional help from Great Britain's MI6, as well as possible covert ops teams from the Israeli Mossad. Undisclosed sources have intercepted these Brotherhood of the Red Nile communications. This is our target. We can't attack all of the United States, but we can select targets that, if attacked successfully, will have much greater long-term impact on America. We can lay out our plans to bring down America using our new weapons. Once again, here's Dan Perkins. All the technology is real. Dan, how is this possible? Most of the technology referred to in this book is available on the Internet. It is clear, however, that there are terrorist groups that want to attack the United States. Jane, final thoughts? Once again, we are following up on reports that the U.S. Homeland Security, CIA, Joint Federal Agency Task Forces, British MI6, and Israeli Mossad are tracking an Al-Qaeda-like terrorist group known as the Brotherhood of the Red Nile. This group reportedly has possession of one or more of the missing Soviet Union dirty bombs. While further information is not clear at this time, undisclosed sources say their intent is to use these Soviet dirty bombs against the United States. Stand by while we switch to our Washington correspondence. Broadcasting from the Oval Office, the president said, My fellow Americans, the radio crackled. We interrupt the president. There is a report of a second nuclear bomb exploding in the radio went dead. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, a terrorist perspective by Dan Perkins is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, FriesenPress.com and all Dan Perkins books can be ordered at your local bookstore. You know, Dan, that is a hair-raising uh, prospect you raise in that book. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, it's it's not that unlike uh, the books that Tom Clancy wrote that, uh, that predicted uh, that Islamic terrorists would use airliners to as missiles to attack uh, buildings. And uh, nobody, including inside the CIA, paid any heed to that. And the, the scenarios that you're describing there in that book are perfectly plausible. And if you think it hasn't occurred to Islamic terrorists to do that, I would argue you're sadly mistaken. Right. That uh, I've had people who listened uh, to that clip and and they say it reminds them to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. It's just as scary. And um, uh, and, and and some people have compared what you just said that the books remind them of, of Tom Clancy and his writing style, which is, I think, highly complimentary for me, and I appreciate that. But, but even when you write fiction, there has to be an element of truth to make fiction work. As I said, all the technology uh, in the book is real. It happens, and it's there. Um, one of the scariest pieces of the book was that this book was started in in February of the first book, 
Tariff's perspective was started in February of 2012. Why is it important? Because I said in the book that the new terrorist group called the Brotherhood of the Red Nile was going to be was being formed in the town of Oman, Syria. Three years later, that's where ISIS was formed. You know what's scary uh, to me about it, Dan, is you think that uh, you know our CIA and our other uh, intelligence agencies have a handle on this, but as I described, uh, at, in the aftermath of 9-11, they said that it never occurred to them that uh, Islamic terrorists would use airliners as missiles. Apparently, nobody over at the CIA had ever read Tom Clancy because he described just that scenario, and he's not the only author that described that scenario. There were others. And right. they had captured Ramsey Youssef over in the Philippines. Well, they they actually they just missed capturing Ramsey Youssef over in Manila, uh, but they found plans in his bomb-making factory to do just that, to use uh, an airliner to uh, attack the CIA headquarters. And yet, nobody took any action to prevent it until it was too late. And, and it makes you fearful uh, that you know this could be the same kind of scenario. I would say uh, I would make a recommendation to your audience. I watched last night the two-hour oh. special on the History Channel. 20 seconds. Now. On Air Force One. You will be shocked at how ill-prepared we were as a nation. We, we had the president in Air Force One, and it reached a point where he was out of, totally out of control, meaning he couldn't talk to anybody. So watch that, and you'll see how ill-prepared we were for this attack. Dan Perkins is the author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. You can find his website at danperkinssanibel.com, and you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dansbeak, D-A-N-S-B-E-A-K. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Anytime. Just give me a call. Thank Take you. Care. And we got that's it for today's uh, edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I hope you'll join us back here again tomorrow on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenni's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenni.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at 695